According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Once again, we are in Proverbs chapter 28. Proverbs 28 coming up. Uh, let's see, we're in verse 18, 19, and 20 at the moment. There's only 28 verses in this chapter, so we're approaching the bottom there. We'll just continue it right across into chapter 29. Really, 28 and 29 do form a poetic unit, so uh, we're good with that. We get through chapter 29, 27 verses there, and then we get to our final two chapters. We get to the words of Augur, who was he? And then we get to the words of Lemuel, who was he? King Lemuel, the oracle, which his mother taught him. Not the best of translations there, but we'll handle that and uh, deal with Lemuel and Augur. We're also going to learn about uh, Ithiel and Ukul, whoever they were. Augur, the son of Jacob, the man declares to Ithiel, to Ithiel, to Ukul, surely I am more stupid than any man. I've been waiting for this. <laughs> but we're not quite there yet. So, chapter 28, verses 18, 19, and 20. Before we get started, let's take a moment for silent prayer, calling upon our Father and his faithfulness to bless our time in the truth. Shall we pray? Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word and the privilege and blessing that it is for us to assemble together. We thank you for this, uh, this grace provision that has established a lampstand in this place that continues to maintain the uh, witness and the testimony here. We thank you that the bills are paid, the lights are on, the doors are open, and Father, you are faithful. We give you the praise and the glory. We call upon that faithfulness uh, once again this morning to open our eyes to the truth, bless our study as we showed uh, ourselves approved. We thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, so we have a triplet of verses here, 18, 19, and 20, spotlighting the faithful man in the midst of five he-whos. And so this is worth uh, just looking through and seeing uh, the six parts of these three verses. Remember, each verse has an A and a B. Uh, each verse has uh, the two-line couplet as we're looking at it here. He who walks blamelessly will be delivered, but he who is crooked will fall at once. So in verse 18, you've got an A part and a B part, both with a he-who. He who walks blamelessly and he who is crooked. These he-whos uh, are just English translations, ways to express the, uh, the Hebrew participles that are describing the verbs, the activities of, uh, of these verses. So you have the he who walks blamelessly and the he who is crooked. Then in verse 19, he who tills his land will have plenty of food, but he who follows empty pursuits will have poverty in plenty. Again, an A part and a B part, each half of this verse with a he who. He who tills the land, he who follows empty pursuits. And the contrast there. Then in verse 20, again, an A part and a B part. A faithful man will abound with blessings, but he who makes haste to be rich will not go unpunished. And so we have an A part and a B part again, except this one's defective. This one's defective when compared to the two verses leading up to it, because the faithful man is not a he-who. All right? We're breaking the he-who pattern with the A part of verse 20. A faithful man will abound with blessings. So it could have been phrased another way. You could have said this, uh, he who abounds in blessings, right, is, uh, is a faithful man or something like that. You could have put a he-who in there, but, uh, but Solomon chose not to. 
okay, that this triplet is, is jumping out at you with a spotlight there. So anytime you have a broken poetry, anytime you have, and this is just a, a feature where you're expecting this, you're expecting this, and then something happens you're not expecting. And you go, oh, wait a minute. That gets your attention, and that's spotlights. It says, wait a minute, this is the real issue of what we're, what we're looking at here, okay? And so this is where the spotlight falls. Now, I think you can go back, obviously, the spotlight is on faithfulness, and clearly you can go through and you can see with each of these he-whos that you have a faithful man and you have the non-faithful man, okay? So he who walks blamelessly, that's a faithful man. That's a believer in, under doctrine that's walking according to the word of God. That's a faithful man. He who walks blamelessly will be delivered. He who is crooked, that's not the faithful man. Same thing in verse 19. He who tills his land, that's a faithful man. That's a faithful man that's, that's allowing his spiritual faithfulness to have uh, ongoing effects in his temporal life faithfulness. His bios life is a reflection of his zoe life. He's faithful in his spiritual endeavors before the Lord, and that gets reflected in his faithfulness in earthly things, secular work, the hard work that he does in tilling his land. He who follows empty pursuits, again, where's the faithfulness there? Um, the faithful man who abounds in blessings, but he who makes haste to be rich, that's not a faithful man. This is somebody that's trying to find shortcuts. This is somebody that's trying to uh, ob obtain wealth apart from God's design. No faithfulness in that. And he will not go unpunished. So we have the issues there. And I think with each of these, I'm just focusing my notes in point 17. I'm focusing my notes on the, on the noun here for amuna, the, the term that expresses faith or faithfulness uh, as it's used for adjectivally related to somebody that is himself faithful or doing something adverbally, doing something that's, uh, that's faithfully done. The, uh, the Hebrew word amuna that occurs so many times in, uh, uh, throughout the, the Hebrew Old Testament, I'm really just locking in on a handful of verses to get us with this sense. It's used 49 times. We're not going to see all of those. But there is an amazing concentration in Psalm 89 that I want to dwell on a little bit here this morning, as well as uh, some of our other favorite verses that we have throughout the Old Testament. And uh, so just real quickly, we can look at these other verses as well. Uh, he who walks blamelessly will be delivered. Um, is that is that a promise? Can we claim that every single time? Remember the difference between doctrines and promises and principles. Remember the, uh, the, the nature of Proverbs is teaching the general rule for how things normally works. Of course, there are exceptions, and of course, there are other factors that must be brought in as well to include the angelic conflict and undeserved suffering and, and every other principle as well. Remember, principles never stand alone. Principles stand but they stand alongside additional principles. Can we be clear on that? And so, you know, I, I think this is where um, people study Proverbs and they study Proverbs incorrectly. They study Proverbs as if they're doctrines, as if they're promises, as if uh, they have to be uh, applied every single time without fail. And if it ever fails once, then God's a liar. And, and then they get upset. It devastates their faith. And it, they, they, they read a proverb that says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And they, they claim that as an absolute promise that has no exceptions ever in the history of the, of the universe. And, and then they have a child that is trained in his youth, but then becomes a, a, a train wreck in his adult life and dies the sin unto death and has all these other things that go wrong. And so... If you are misapplying, if you are abusing 
Proverbs and trying to turn Proverbs into what they're not, then there's going to be no shortage of that. Okay? But if you accept the principles of Proverbs, that these are principles that do hold true okay, as a normal function, obviously, ground your kids in doctrine, raise them up as unto the Lord. Good things follow, okay? As a rule, as a normal rule, that's a principle. But it's also a principle that sits alongside other principles. And how about other principles that say, you reap what you sow? Right? Or that each generation has to answer as unto the Lord. And, and you could have a, a wicked generation followed by a righteous generation followed by a wicked generation. Those are also principles. We have those in Ezekiel 20 and other passages, right? So we put all these principles side by side and we don't, uh, we don't panic. So likewise, he who walks blamelessly will be delivered. Is that a, is that a doctrine that you can claim 100% all t- every time? Well, will there be occasions where you walk blamelessly and God assigns some undeserved suffering to your life? And you find, uh, you, you go through some things and then you, you want to shake your fist at God and say, this isn't right. I was walking blamelessly. Why did you not deliver me? All right, you're abusing the principles. You're abusing what Proverbs is intended to convey. I also think you need to stop and ask yourself, delivered from what? What kind of deliverance are we talking about here? Anything, anytime you have the word salvation, or the word saved or delivered, things like this, are we talking about physical harm? Are we talking about physical danger? Or is this delivered from sin, sin temptations and spiritual struggles? And the fact is, when you're walking blamelessly as unto the Lord, the integrity of your heart, living the word of God, does that not rescue you from all these other uh, temptations and snares? You know, when the devil was tempting Jesus... I believe he was walking blamelessly and he was delivered because he quoted scripture and said, no, thou shalt not put the Lord your God to the test. And he rejected the, uh, the temptation. This is a principle and it's available for all of us. Absolutely available for all of us. And he who is crooked will fall at once. When you're, when you're walking out of fellowship, when you're in carnality and walking in darkness, where's the rescue? <laughs> where's the rescue? Okay. You know, so a sin temptation hits you, but you're already carnal because you've been carnal for weeks. Uh, is there any rescue from that sin temptation? None whatsoever. You're actually given over at that point. All right, again, he who tills his land will have plenty of food. It's a general rule, a general principle. Hard work, and there's benefits, right? Now, are there exceptions? Are there, uh, we got somebody at the door? Are there exceptions? Is there a, an issue there where um, maybe a, uh, bad weather can hit or a flood or, or something else? Obviously. So don't take a general rule and a principle and then uh, consider God guilty for not following up on, uh, on these things. All right. So um, he who follows empty pursuits will have poverty and plenty. The contrast to hard work. That, uh, and this is not a prohibition against any kind of recreation or fun or hobbies or pastimes. But when you are following the empty things so much that you don't do the work that needs to be done, uh, you know, when you compare the A part to the B part, it's pretty obvious that uh, following the vanity, all is vanity, um, you're going you're gonna to reap what you sow. You're going to sow the wind, you're going to reap the whirlwind. And that too is a principle that we can appreciate. Faithful man will abound in blessings. It doesn't have to be temporal blessings. It certainly doesn't have to be physical wealth. It doesn't have to be earthly finances. Uh, clearly, 
and, and especially, all of these are Old Testament truths. How much more applicable are they in the church? When you and I are already, as church-age saints, blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. From the foundation of the world, we have the maximum blessings God has ever bestowed upon a, uh, a body of believers. But he who makes haste to be rich will not go unpunished. So yeah, each one of these, they practically preach themselves. They're pretty straightforward. And given how late we are now in this Proverbs series, I would venture to say, and I'm going out on a limb here, I would venture to say we will not hit a verse that where a concept has not already been addressed earlier in the book of Proverbs. Okay? And then we'll prove me wrong here in 10 minutes when we hit a verse and say, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> this is the first time Proverbs has hit this. But I'm, I'm starting to suspect that we are so close to the finish line that uh, even the virtuous woman, there, there have been verses prior till now that have addressed these concepts, these principles. So uh, prove me wrong as we, as we work our way through. For today, though, I do want to focus on faithfulness. I do want to focus on amuna, uh, the expression as we have it here, uh, the uh, E-M-U-W-N-A-H, the English transliteration of amuna. If you take the, the A-H ending off of it, you just have, you can see the amen. You can see the, the word amen that comes from this, and, or amen. Anytime you say amen to a, to a prayer, anytime you say amen to a statement, anytime you claim amen as a, as a faith rest principle, you are uh, testifying to the faithfulness of God. You are testifying, amen, God is faithful. Amen, let it be so. Amen, God's will be done. And so every amen testimony is, is tantamount to declaring that God is faithful. And, uh, and we can appreciate that. Well, when you do your search on amen, and you do your search on Imuna, I forgot to wake up my mouse this morning. When you do your search on the faithful man, and you select your lemma, and you do your, uh, you could do a word study from there. I'm just going to bring up a search of the Bible get my listing of all of the, uh, the places where Amuna occurs, 49 of them, all right? We're not going to read them all, but we look at them, and then I find it helpful sometimes to look at a chart and to say, aha, <laughs> something's jumping out of me here. Something's grabbing my attention. And that's the book of Psalms, okay? Where 22 out of the 49 uh, uses of Amuna are in the Psalms, okay? That grabs my attention. And then I also want to do, uh, just break it down by chapter. Aha, this has my attention as well. Psalm 89, you say. <laughs> All right, look at that. So that gets my attention. Seven uses in Psalm 89. This gets my attention. Five uses in Psalm 119. Well, that stands to reason. Psalm 119 is super long anyway. hundred, you know, all those verses. But still, five uses in Psalm 119, that gets my attention too. That's worth a look at as well related to that. So the, the chapter I selected for this morning was the Psalm 89 uh, use usages. And so we can look at those. I'll go ahead and keep the search results open so that they'll, they'll be colored yellow every time we encounter them. All right. Because I believe um, this, it's not accidental that you've got seven usages in this chapter. And that Psalm 89 is so uh, key for a lot of things, right? Particularly with the Davidic covenant. So let's take a look at it. Psalm 89, 1. 
and see what, uh, what we're dealing with here. Psalm 89. A maskil of Ethan the Ezraite. I will sing of the chesed, the loving kindness of the Lord forever. To all generations I will make known your amuna with my mouth. So this is singing about God and to God. It's his faithfulness that we're singing about. And any, any frame of reference we have for studying the earthly concept of faithfulness has to be grounded in the divine attributes, has to be grounded in God's nature. God's faithfulness has to be the pattern for anything we understand related to faithfulness. And so I will sing of the loving kindness of the Lord forever to all generations. I will make known your faithfulness. And we're going to see a tandem repeatedly. There's a tandem of grace and truth. There's a tandem of chesed and amuna. There's a, ten, a tandem of, uh, of, of these things, the grace of God and the faithfulness of God. And uh, we can appreciate that. So it starts that way. This is how it starts. The first two verses of the psalm. For I have said, loving kindness will be built up forever. In the heavens you will establish your faithfulness, your emuna. And so the first two verses that start this psalm off, you can just see the poetry, you can see the linkages, you can see the parallelism between chesed and emuna. The, the, the tandems of grace or loving kindness and faithfulness. Because really, what good is loving kindness if God's not faithful? What good is salvation if God's not faithful? Okay? Because he might be loving kindness today, but if he's not loving kindness tomorrow, are we really saved? And in, understand that the promise of eternal life demands eternal faithfulness or we don't have that eternal life. I think these, these issues are, are vital for us to understand. So loving kindness will be built up forever. So we have no reason to ever stop singing about it. We can sing forever. And, and what a joy to know that our, our worship and our praise and our, our uh, Christian walk, our spiritual walk as unto the Lord doesn't stop with our physical death. It goes on forever. In the resurrection and forevermore, we will be singing his praises because his faithfulness never stops. His loving kindness never stops. So we can never exhaust an infinite description of his loving kindness and his amuna, his faithfulness. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to David, my servant. I will establish your seed forever and build up your throne to all generations. Salah. All right, so verses 3 and 4 now, after introducing with grace and truth or introducing with chesed and amuna, introducing with loving kindness and faithfulness, now we start the... the dominant theme for what this psalm is dealing with, the, the Davidic covenant, the faithfulness that God is going to show to David. And remember, you get the Davidic covenant not only in Second Samuel, not only in Chronicles, but you have the Psalms that are testifying to this powerful truth. So you've got to, got to take in all of these passages. David is the chosen one, just as Jesus is the chosen one. It's a principle of election that you don't want to confuse personal election with corporate election. And I don't want to blend the church corporate election with Israel's election. Anyway, my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant. I will establish your seed forever. So now we have a new seed that's introduced. And, and, and we've, this, is, this is something we stressed in our Through the Bible year. The seed of the woman, the seed of Abraham, the seed of David. Okay? Those seeds are, are critical. Of course, all of which is applied in Jesus Christ. But the seed of David in this Davidic covenant, when does it expire? Uh, it says forever. It says all generations. Okay? doesn't expire. 
<laughs> this is the king who's qualified to sit on an on a eternal throne, is the eternal king that is our Savior, Jesus Christ. So this is marvelous. And, and these are the verses that you better write these down, memorize these, use these. When you encounter the, the, the people out there that are steeped in their replacement theology, that think that the church has replaced Israel, say that's, that's insane because God is not a liar. And he will not lie to David. He has established a covenant with David. He's not done with the Davidic throne. He's not done with the Jewish people. And, uh, and these verses are huge. All right, verse 5. The heavens will praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness also in the assembly of the holy ones. This is worship that transcends earth. This transcends humanity. This, uh, this gets into the angelic realm also. Okay, Amuna, the principles of faithfulness, not only are they blessings for us and our humanity, they're actually instructive to the angelic realm. Think about the elect angels that stayed faithful to the Lord and the fallen angels that had no Amuna at all, that they rebelled against the Lord, they followed Satan in the, in the uh, original fall. So the heavens will praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness also in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies is comparable to the Lord? Or comparable. Comparable? Comparable. Who in the skies is comparable to the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty is like the Lord? What an insult. What a rebuke. Okay? Because Satan, this is what he said. He said, I will be like the Most High God. And the psalmist is saying, no, you're not. <laughs> who are you? Who in the skies is comparable to the Lord? Oh, that's right, not you. Oh, and that's right, you're not in the skies anymore. You're a fallen angel these days, aren't you? You've been thrown down, haven't you? Who among the sons of the mighty? Well, you used to be. Who among the uh, B'nai Ha Elohim, the sons of the gods, all right? A God greatly feared in the council of the holy ones, and awesome above all those who are around him. You start studying the fear of the Lord, that's a primary dominant theme in Proverbs. You start learning the fear of the Lord and you realize that's, that's more than just a human application. Even the angels have the fear of the Lord as a part of their responsibility. O Lord, God of hosts, who is like you? O mighty Lord, your faithfulness also surrounds you. Again, he's mighty, he's strong. When you have the, uh, the Lord God of hosts and his battle names and these expressions, who is like you? There's nobody like you. He is unique. The fact is, he is the one and only, without peer. And uh, notice how many times faithfulness is linked to that uniqueness of God. The I am, the only one who is the I am, and thank God for his faithfulness in this, uh, in this capacity. You rule the swelling of the sea, when its waves rise, you still them. You yourself crushed Rahab like one who was slain. You scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. That's not the Jericho harlot. This is the poetic name for Satan. This is, again, in the paragraph that's dealing with the heavens and the angelic warfare and the angelic rebellion, um, crushing Rahab was the destruction of the angelic rebellion, what left the world tohu wabohu and brought, uh, brought to a conclusion the angelic realm. You scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. You see why this is one of my favorite psalms? I love Psalm 89, Okay. So, uh, again, more principles of faithfulness. Now, we've got a little bit of a gap here. The next faithfulness reference won't come until verse uh, 24. 
But these are the first four uses. Verse 1, verse 2, verse 5, and verse 8. So the psalm does go some other directions. I don't, won't spend a whole lot of time on this. The heavens are yours. The earth also is yours. The world and its fullness, you have founded them. The world and all it contains, you have founded them. Some of the fullness studies that we've already done a few. We've got more to come up, to come up with. The fullness studies, I think, um, are, are, are well, you can't avoid them because the dispensation of the fullness of times is, uh, is, is part of that. So here we have the fullness, the world and its fullness, the world and all it contains. You have founded them. The north and the south, you have created them. And, and north and south in angelic dimensions, north and south in human dimensions. Tabor and Hermon shout for joy at your name. You have a strong arm. Your hand is mighty. Your right hand is exalted. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Loving kindness and truth go before you. Now, this isn't colored yellow, uh, but we do have a cognate of Amuna that's in there. I should actually color all the cognates as well. So loving kindness and truth. This is the Amen. Remember, Jesus has... Uh, the names written upon his thigh, faithful and true. So we have a preview here of the coming kingdom of Jesus Christ. How happy are the people who know the joyful sound. O Lord, they walk in the light of your countenance. In your name they rejoice all the day. By your righteousness they are exalted. Only believers are entering into the millennial kingdom. Our shield belongs to the Lord, our King to the Holy One of Israel. All right, next paragraph. Once you spoke in vision to your godly ones and said, I have given help to one who is mighty. All right, so we're back to this again. And we're again, we're, we're taking the Davidic covenant, which is eternal, which is applied to David and his seed. We're going to see the application with David, but his seed has the fullness of this. So I have given help to one who is mighty. I have exalted one chosen from the people. I have found David, my servant. With my holy oil I have anointed him. With whom my hand will be established, my arm also will strengthen him. The enemy will not deceive him, nor the son of wickedness afflict him. But I will crush his adversaries before him and strike those who hate him. How much of this is applicable to the historical David? How much of this is applicable to the, the son of David, the seed of David, the eschatological fulfillment in uh, the second advent of Jesus Christ. Crush his adversaries before him, strike those who hate him. It, what's most startling to me, of course, with these promises of victory, with these promises of glory, how Jesus came in first advent in humility, how he humbled himself, how he stood before his accusers silently, how he accepted uh, his physical death because of the will of God to accomplish the work of our redemption. Okay, how he knew that the the wrath and the might and the victory and all the all the glories to come uh, was going to have to be deferred for uh, he didn't know it was two thousand years, but he knew that it was a delay. He knew that the kingdom was no longer in hand, and he knew that it was going to require a departure and a return. What uh, what amazing uh, humility there! So. I shall crush his adversaries before him and strike those who hate him. My faithfulness and my loving kindness will be with him. Again, that's that tandem. Chesed and Amuna. And in my name, his horn will be exalted. 
Horn is uh, political rule and power in, in, uh, in the kingdom. I shall also set his hand on the seas. Oh, the sea, singular. And his right hand on the rivers. He will cry to me, you are my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. What did he cry out when he was on the cross? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And yet even there, he had an anticipation of good things to come. I also shall make him firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. My loving kindness I will keep for him forever, and my covenant shall be confirmed to him. So I will establish his seed forever and his throne as the days of heaven. So we have the historical David and we have the prophetic son of David. Okay? It's also the seed of the woman, the seed of Abraham. All of these are realized in the person of Jesus Christ on the throne of David. Don't ever forget that. See, this is where the replacement guys, and, and sadly, progressive dispensationalism starts to blend this as well. They, uh, they, they, yeah, they, they, they fail to see that the throne of David is not a personal throne, but a corporate throne for the Jewish people. And I think we'll touch upon that in our upcoming dispensationalism classes. All right. If his sons forsake my law and do not walk in my judgments, if they violate my statutes and do not keep my commandments. See, starting with Solomon and Rehoboam and a bunch of other knuckleheads after that, okay, you'd have this mix of some were better, some were worse, some were, were pretty good, some were outright terrible. Okay, Manasseh was the worst of them all. Um, and so you would have in between David and Jesus, you would have an assortment of other descendants, other seed, other types of Christ. And some of them fell, fell short. Okay? You look at Solomon and his thousand women and the sin of death and the, the horrible end of his life. That's uh, a feature here. It's also referenced in 2 Samuel 7. It's not ignored in the uh, covenant passage there. So if they violate my statutes, if they do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgressions with a rod and their iniquity with stripes. There will be discipline. They would, they would suffer in the face of their enemies. They would even be led to captivity. The Babylonian captivity, leaving the, the Davidic throne vacant for a time. But I will not break off my loving kindness from him. He will not break off my loving kindness from him. Is that David or is that Jesus? Or both? <laughs> okay. Because this is the, the nature of this Davidic promise. It's for the historical David, who's going to be resurrected and, and sit and reign with Jesus in the kingdom. I will not break off my loving kindness from him, either David or Jesus, the son of David, nor deal falsely in my faithfulness. And you can have a whole string of wicked kings of Judah, right? After Josiah, there were no more good kings. Je Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin, uh, Zedekiah, they were all evil kings. But the Davidic covenant stands today and stands forever because, because God's amuna, God's faithfulness. I think this is a thing. And, and we, we have such a low view of it, I think. You end up with um, marriage vows and people are claiming faithfulness. And yet, and then they decide, well, okay, maybe not so much. And then decide, okay, uh, change my mind. Thank God, God doesn't handle it that way. My covenant I will not violate, nor will I alter the utterance of my lips. Once I have sworn by my holiness. How many times does he keep mentioning once? 
Right? We had that earlier. Now we have it again. Once. I know there was an earlier. Yeah, there it is. Once. In verse 19. And now we have it again. In verse 35. I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. Connect that verse also the next time you're talking to a replacement theology person. You say, well, then why is God lying to David? He said he wouldn't lie to David. Is God a liar? His seed shall endure forever. His throne as the sun before me. It shall be established forever like the moon and the witness in the sky is faithful. Salah. Every salah means stop and think about it. Reflect upon what you just read. You've got some profound truth there to, uh, to focus on. Okay? We're not done. There's one more Amuna reference in verse 49. But you have cast off and rejected. You have been full of wrath against your anointed. You have spurned the covenant of your service servant. You have profaned his crown in the dust. It could be a real crisis of faith for a Jewish believer who wants to believe that God is faithful, but then he sees the temple destroyed. He sees Jerusalem destroyed. He sees the, the throne of David vacated. He sees the king let off in chains. He sees judgment. And he wants to believe the promises. But then he sees this other side, okay? And so believers are holding these things in tension. We're holding this is true, but I'm also seeing this. And in wanting to reconcile these, both, uh, uh, both sides of what we're looking at here. You have broken down all his walls. You have brought his strongholds to ruin. All who pass along the way plunder him. He has become a reproach to his neighbors. Okay, and you look at all this, and this is where I think, again, the replacement theology people... They need to process this because they see, oh, well, Jerusalem's gone. Israel's gone. They were, they were in dispersion for almost 2,000 years. And I, and I could get that. But then what do they do with 1948? Look at this. The Jews are back. The, the nation is resurrected. There's, a, there's once again, there's, a, there's a, 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 a politeia of Israel in the land. Can you still justify your replacement theology concepts? Because God sent them into captivity? What's God doing now? Anyway. Process this. What's this talking about? And notice, with all of these, the, um, the primary actor here is God himself. Not the Babylonians, not the Romans, not the Gentiles, not human beings that are tools in God's hands. God has done all these activities. God has uh, cast them off and rejected them. God has spurned the covenant for this season, for the time. God has profaned his crown for the season, for this time, not forever. God has broken down. God has brought this. God has done this. You have exalted the right hand of his adversaries. You have made all his enemies rejoice. The Gentiles seem to be dominant. Why is that? Why, why Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome? Why are the Gentile domains so, uh, so powerful? Because God is working. You have exalted the right hand of his adversaries. You have made all his enemies rejoice. You also turned back the edge of his sword and have not made him stand in battle. You have made his splendor to cease and cast his throne to the ground. You have shortened the days of his youth. You have covered him with shame. Salah. Okay, again, that's a lot to process. You've got to process that. Take time. Think about it. Salah. Okay? And then put it all together. Finish the song. 
You don't, you don't say, well, this is true and I don't like that, so it can't be true. They're both true. All right? But we reconcile them. We, we put them together. We harmonize them because Scripture agrees with Scripture. How long, O Lord? Aha. <laughs> okay. How long? See, faith knows that none of this judgment is eternal. None of this judgment is forever. It can't be. Because the earlier paragraph is eternal. The blessings are forever. The kingdom is forever. The throne is forever. God will not lie to David. So all of these other bad things that are happening in the meantime can't be forever. And since they can't be forever, we are correct to say how long? How long? Can we be done with this yet? <laughs> can, we, can we be done with the times of the Gentiles and the judgment of, of the Jews? How long? Oh Lord, how long? And Daniel's going to get the answer to that. He's going to find out 77s have been decreed for your people in your holy city. He's going to find out a calendar of 77s, including 69 that are now historically finished and one more to go. How long, O oh Lord? Will you hide yourself forever? Will your wrath burn like fire? Remember what my span of life is for what vanity you have created all the sons of men? What man can live and not see death? Can he deliver his soul from the power of Sheol, Salah? Where are your former loving kindnesses, O Lord? You know, you are never more powerful in your prayer life than when you're claiming the promises of God and holding God accountable for what he said he was going to do. Just quote scripture. That, that's a biblical model. Moses did it, David did it, Abraham did it, Jesus did it. Just quote God's promises and say, all right, Lord, I'm leaving that with you. <laughs> you said you will never leave me nor forsake me. So it's yours. <laughs> and leave it with him. Okay, Claim the promise and then faith rest. Where are your former loving kindnesses, O Lord, which you swore to David in your faithfulness? Can this vacated throne last forever? No. Remember, though, the nation of Israel was resurrected, but the throne of David is still vacant. They're, they're, they're regathered in unbelief. They're not there in faith. It's going to take uh, tribulation to humble them, to bring them to repentance. The, the Davidic throne does not get... Uh, receded until Jesus returns uh, for the millennial kingdom. Remember, O Lord, the reproach of your servants, how I bear in my bosom the reproach of all the many peoples with which your enemies have reproached, O Lord, with which they have reproached the footsteps of your anointed. Blessed be the Lord forever, amen and amen. That's what closes book three of the Psalms. Okay? You know, if it was Ezra or whoever it was that put the 150 Psalms in the order he put them in, to, to close out book three this way, I think is, is just uh, genius. All right. So blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. Isn't that something? The faithfulness of God, seven times in Psalm 89, seven times in the, in the song of God's faithfulness to David, the guarantee of the Davidic covenant, the guarantee of the future Davidic throne. Seven times God's faithfulness is, is declared, and we're going we're gonna to ignore all that and say, oh no, God, he's thrown out the Jewish people, he's replaced it now with the church. No, that's just insane. Absolutely wrong. All right, a few more of my favorite. Uh, Lamentations 3. I'm going to talk about faithfulness. Um, 
Lamentations 3. And we do. We want to sing about faithfulness. We want our hymns to sing about faithfulness. We want our lives to sing about faithfulness. Um, We want to testify, you know, as I've started a a trend here lately, instead of asking the how are you question, we're asking, can you testify to the faithfulness of God today? Right? And so, yes, I can testify to the faithfulness of God today as evidenced by the fact that uh, I didn't die in my sleep, that he woke me up, that he got me out of bed, that I have a new day now to glorify Jesus Christ because God's a God of faithfulness. And so we can identify with his faithfulness Lamentations has one of the most precious uh, verses on faithfulness you're ever going to find anywhere in the Bible, but it comes in the midst of one of the most depressing passages you'll ever find in the Bible. And that's not an accident. Because truly, you and I appreciate the faithfulness of God maybe more than ever when we're going through the roughest things we ever go through in this life. When we're under testing, when we're under adversity, when when we're just suffering with all kinds of awful things, deserved and undeserved, when, when we're under that kind of lamentation parameters, right, those kind of lamentation parameters, then God can shine forth with such a, such a demonstration of his faithfulness. It's a way that we never see it if we don't go through those testings. And so, not, you know, it's, um, is it excessive to read 22 verses to lead up to verse 23? I mean, you can get the gist of it without reading all of them, but you see how it starts. I am the man who has seen affliction because of the rod of his wrath. Jeremiah was the weeping prophet for a reason. He, he went through it more than anybody, okay? And in everything that he has done, he has driven me and made me walk in darkness and not in light. God did that. He's not blaming the Jews. He's not blaming a wicked king like Zedekiah. He's not blaming false prophets. He's blaming God. God did all of these things to him. He has driven me and made me walk in darkness, not in light. Surely against me, he has turned his hand repeatedly all the day. He just doesn't stop. All day long, every day. He has caused my flesh and my skin to waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and encompassed me with bitterness and hardship. In dark places he has made me dwell, like those who have long been dead. He has walled me in so that I cannot go out. He has made my chain heavy. You ever feel trapped in a corner? There's no way out? No options? Well, whose fault is that? Jeremiah says it's God's fault. God put me here. (laughs) And how much of this is actually true? And how much of this do you just think is true because of the, the affliction that you're under? Even when I cry out and call for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with hewn stone. He has made my paths crooked. He is to me like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in secret places. We had lion and bear language a couple weeks ago in Proverbs 28. He has turned aside my ways and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a target for the arrow. (laughs) God's just enjoying his target practice and I'm the target. You have nothing better to do? Is there some other target you could pick for once? Why is it me all the time? He made the arrows of his quiver to enter my inward parts. I become a laughingstock to all my people. Their mocking song all the day. Filled me with bitterness. Made me drunk with wormwood. Broken my teeth with gravel. Made me cower in the dust. My soul has been rejected from peace. I have forgotten happiness. What an exciting, I mean, you talk about depressing, but have we all not been there at some point? 
I have forgotten happiness. So what do you do in these times? You know, Jeremiah decided to compose a song. And he sings about it. He's giving it to the Lord. This lamentation is his worship. So I say my strength has perished and so has my hope from the Lord. It's also fun when you work through the Hebrew on this because it's an acrostic psalm. It's acrostic, it's alphabetized like, like the virtuous woman in Psalm 119 and other, other uh, acrostics. My strength has perished, so has my hope from the Lord. All right, now it gets to this middle section. Remember my affliction and my wandering, the wormwood and bitterness. He's telling God what to do. He's asking God to remember him. The same God that did all those things to him, he's going to that God in prayer and saying, please remember me. My affliction that you did, my wandering that you caused, the wormwood and bitterness that you gave me. Surely my soul remembers and is bowed down within me. See, here's turning the corner because he took it to the Lord in prayer and he's calling upon the Lord to remember this I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. That's why he's not giving up. That's why he's going to the Lord in prayer. He's not just throwing it out and saying, all right, to heck with you then, I'll find a better God. I'll decide to go serve uh, Baal or go serve Zeus or I'll find another God out there somewhere, somebody that will reward me for my faithfulness. No. Where else is he going to turn? There's only one God and he is the faithful God. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. His compassions never fail. Now the loving kindnesses, those are the chesed, we, we saw those in, the, in Psalm 89, but now we actually have added to that the compassions. Okay? The, uh, you can think about the, the, the emotions that get affected. Well, you're not just spiritually devastated, but emotionally you're a, you're a wreck. God's not uh, ignorant of that. He has compassions as well. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Okay? And so we get one of our favorite hymns in the Bible, Great is Thy Faithfulness, right? It doesn't include these first 22 verses, <laughs> but that's the basis for that song. God's portion, uh, the Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I have hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. And so all these other things he brings me through, he is good. It will work together for good. There will be an outcome from this. There will be something that glorifies him on the other side. I'm not enjoying it at the moment, but once I get through it on the other side, there's, uh, there's good things to come. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I have hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. It is good that he waits silently for the salvation of the Lord. It is good. Even when the affliction is still underway, you're waiting upon the Lord, and that is good. It is good for a man that he should bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone and be silent since he has laid it on him. Anyway, this gets to some other issues. It's a very long psalm. When you get down, I think it's 66 verses altogether. Yes, because you have the alphabetized list in triplets. Aleph, 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 Baith, 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 Gimel, Gimel, Gimel. You have your alphabetized list uh, times three in, uh, in this uh, chapter. How about Hosea? Hosea 2.20. Look what uh, Hosea was intended to do. He had to marry a prostitute. He had to marry a faithless woman. He had to raise children that he didn't know were his. 
And, uh, all right, I'm not going to read the whole chapter. But think about what he put him through. And then bringing back his, his faithless wife. It's a picture of what Yahweh is doing, right? Because if, um, if, if replacement theology is true and God's done with the Jews, then, and he just divorced Israel and said, be gone with you, I'm done with you, I'm going to find a better wife, I'm going to call the church. If, if, if that doctrine is valid, then why do we have Hosea in our Bibles? <laughs> and why was Hosea commanded to marry the faithless woman and then to bring her back? Okay? The point is, is God does not cast Israel away forever. God brings her back. It'll come about in that day, declares the Lord, that you will call me Ishi and no longer call me Bailey. For I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth, so she will be, they will be mentioned by their names no more. And that day will also make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field, the birds of the sky, and the creeping things of the ground. So um, the millennial kingdom is going to have uh, changes to the animal realm. There's going to be peace. You can, uh, the, the child can lead lions, and, and there's just uh, environmental benefits of the millennial kingdom. I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land. I will make them lie down in safety. These are kingdom provisions with no more war. I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice, in loving kindness and in compassion. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. Then you will know the Lord. And Israel in the millennial kingdom is going to have great fulfillment of their stewardship, of their responsibilities, of what they were designed to do in ways that they never did before. And it's, it's really kind of amusing to me. I have to laugh when I think about in the, at the end of the millennium, in the final Gog-Magog rebellion, when all the nations are gathered around Israel, that it's actually the Jewish people that are the faithful people at the end of the millennium, right? You just got to have to laugh. Wait a minute. They are the faithful nation. When does that ever happen? And, and, and all the Gentiles are gathered around them in the final Gog-Magog satanic attack. So, um, I will sow her for myself in the land. I will also have compassion on her who had not obtained compassion. I will say to those who are not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. So this is Israel. He had cast them off for a time. They are not his people, but he brings them back and they will be his people again. You are my people. And they will say, you are my God. Anyway, this is what it is. Now this gets abused and uh, this verse does get quoted. There are applications there, but to take this and, um, and try to defend replacement theology to try to say, oh, see, now it's the church. We were not his people, but now we are. So we're replacing Israel. Wrong, 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 wrong. It's an abuse. It's, 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 it happens with, with Joel 2, when they think that the day of Pentecost fulfills Joel 2. It happens with, with countless other passages that uh, people try to say the church is the fulfillment of the millennial promises. Habakkuk 2.4 As for the proud one, his soul is not right within him, here we go. Habakkuk, the prayer warrior. I will stand on my guard post and station myself on the rampart. I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me. When you go to prayer, are you asking to be spoken to? Are you humble to respond? Are you willing to be rebuked and corrected? Or 
Is that not your prayer life? You, you, you just go to prayer uh, just to ask for stuff. <laughs> you know, uh, I'm in trouble. I need things. Uh, so I go, I go just to beg for stuff. Um, but I'm not going to be spoken to. Why are you speaking to me? Okay. Why are you rebuking me? I didn't come here for that. I, I, I came here to get stuff. That's not Hezekiah's prayer life. Okay. Or I'm sorry, Habakkuk's prayer life. So I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me and how I may reply when I am reproved. Then the Lord answered and said, Record the vision and scribe it on tablets that the one who reads it may run. He's given a prophecy here, a prophecy of warning. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens towards the goal. It will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it. It will certainly come. It will not delay. And people get so finite as human beings, we think, oh, well, there's not going to be a rapture. It's been 2,000 years. It's not coming. And mockers come with their mocking, and scoffers say, where's the promise of his coming? And same thing with Second Advent. There's not a kingdom for Israel. Come on, he's done with them. And in all of everything that's given, plainly in the scriptures, people get skeptical over, just because it's been, what, 2,000 years? Been longer than that for Israel. Though it tarries, wait for it. It will certainly come. It will not delay. As for the proud one, I think that's a title for Satan, but it could apply to any believer that's rejecting doctrine. It could apply to any, uh, anybody that's not waiting in, with faith rest. As for the proud one, his soul is not right within him. He's, he's, he's maybe not mentally insane, but he's spiritually insane. His soul is not right. He's got a heart deficiency in his soul. But the righteous will live by his amuna, by his faith and his faithfulness. It's not just faith that you say you have, but it's the faithfulness that you exhibit as you walk by faith and wait for God to fulfill his promises. And this gets quoted in the New Testament, the just will live by faith. The righteous will live by his amuna. Amuna, faith, faithfulness. All right. Well, that's the triplet there. And um, let's see, as we went through 18, 19, and 20. Oh, wait a minute. Proverbs 28. All right. We got through 18, 19, and 20. Let's look at verse 21. To show partiality is not good, because for a piece of bread a man will transgress. All right, this verse sits alone. This is not part of a larger collection. This is a single verse proverb in two parts, an A part and a B part. There are six of them, actually, not good proverbs, and this is the final one. So we've already done the, the five before this one. Now we get to this one. These not good statements, do they grab your attention? Like when God says it is not good for the man to be alone, and so he has to make provision for the woman and make provision to remedy the not good situation. So seven times, in, or six, I'm sorry, six times in Proverbs, you have these not good statements. To show partiality is not good. And there's a, um, this is an idiom, there's a figure of speech whereby you can, um, you can really stress something by denying the opposite. Okay? Like I say, ooh, that's not good. Which is another way of saying, that's really terrible. Okay? That's, uh, that's, that's about as worse as it can get. By denying the opposite, you can really magnify the, uh, the statement that you're making here. So showing partiality. Showing partiality. It's, again, it's like the antithesis of what God is. Does God show partiality? 
Is God a respecter of persons? Is God uh, susceptible to bribery? Can you influence him? How cheap do you think God is? And, and as if you have the capacity to bribe him. Okay? This is why it's not good. Okay? Which is an understatement. It's, it's, it's a rhetorical understatement to really stress it's, it's horrific. It is, uh, partiality is one of the worst things you can possibly show. Because for a piece of bread, a man will transgress. Think about how cheap uh, people can be bought. Think about the, um, how bread illustrates the utter cheapness of sin. All sin, really, but the sin of partiality is what's being highlighted here. And you think about the, uh, the economy of, um, of sin and w- how you're, you're throwing away eternal reward for a momentary passing pleasure of sin you, you realize the, 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 the cheapness of that you realize the, the insanity of that so uh, next week we'll pick up with this and, and we'll remind ourselves of what the first five not good statements were won't take a time on that uh, but out of those six not good statements three of them half of them are all addressing partiality they're all addressing this favoritism and partiality and, and, and really hypocritical, two-faced. That's what partiality is. When you decide that, well, it's, this is for this person but not for that person, then you're just, uh, you know, when you decide um, that something is going to be illegal for one person but nobody else in the world gets tried for it. <laughs> it's only a crime for Trump. Nobody else ever gets put on trial for this, okay? Some would say that uh, that's partiality for what everybody does. Anyway, any partiality is not good. You can, you can be partial against uh, Republicans too, and partial against Democrats. It goes both ways. So we'll, uh, we'll handle that next week. Then we'll get to the, uh, the generous eye, a man with the evil eye, and, uh, and then we get to the tough communication of rebuking a man. All right, so yeah, good things in front of us. Thank you, Father, for this day. Thank you for the Word of God. Thank you for the timeless Proverbs. Keep us, Father, focused on what these Proverbs are about, how timeless they are, how applicable they are. They, uh, they transcend uh, dispensations. They, they were uh, applicable for Israel and their stewardship. They're applicable for us and our stewardship. They're going to continue to be applicable in the tribulation and millennium and fullness of times. These are principles, Father. Also, never let us uh, confuse the principles with doctrines or promises so that we can rightly divide the word of truth and classify each of these, uh, each of these passages accordingly. Father, thank you for diligent students that, that continue to, to uh, rightly divide the word of truth, to, that continue to search the scriptures to see if these things are so. Uh, we just give you the praise and the glory, Father, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.